Welcome to the Kingdom Life San Antonio podcast. For more information about Kingdom Life San Antonio, check out KingdomLifeSA.com. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Thanks for tuning in. Here's today's message. You're so faithful, God. You're so good. Worthy are you, Jesus. Worthy are you. I thank you that you blazed a trail smack dab into the heart of the Father for us. I thank you that you call us into holiness, that you are holy, you are righteous, you are just, and you are good, and you are faithful. I thank you that your heart is to leave the 99 and go after the one. Lord, my heart just burst that you came and you found me in my brokenness and in my mess. We just tell you that you, Jesus, are the most beautiful, the most fair of all. There's none like you. And we give you all of the worth that you are due tonight. We just lavish our affection upon you. Thank you, Father. I love you, Father. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Holy Spirit. Thank you for inviting us to participate in you and in what you're doing. Thank you that we all receive the invitation to the dance. Thank you that tonight we get just a delight in you. And I thank you, Lord, that as we incline our ears to hear as one who is taught, Lord, I ask that you would pierce our ear with the revelation of who you are and what you've done. I thank you, Lord, that as we peer into that, Lord, that pure mirror, that we can actually discover who we are. And that no old terms will define us, previous definitions, things that have been said to us and said over us. We refuse to let those things define us. But we incline our ear to hear what you are saying to us, Father, because you are good, you are true, and you are faithful. And so, Lord, I just thank you. I thank you for a spirit of wisdom and revelation into the deep and intimate knowledge of you. I thank you for every person and every heart in here. I thank you that I can just, I can like see a tiny bit of what you see, Lord, in them. I see their spirits vibrant and alive and bursting to new life. I see you, Holy Spirit, dancing over every single one of them and weaving intricately into their lives what you do, which is full of goodness. It's overflowing with abounding grace, abounding kindness, abounding love, where there is no lack. There is no fear. That you settle over our hearts the peace, the presence, the person of you, Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords. We glorify you. We acknowledge you. We thank you for the angelic that's in this place, sent to minister to every single one of us. Thank you that we get to sit in the middle of the throne room right here, right now with innumerable company of angels and the seven spirits and the creatures and the cloud of witnesses. But we are not alone and we are not separate. We're actually all intricately woven. We're all connected. We're all together because of you, because of the centrality of who you are, Jesus, and what you did on the cross. We love you. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. Amen. How is everyone? Hello. It's like y'all scattered to the outskirts. Like there's no one here in the middle. But you all like, you know when you used to put that oil like with kids, I would, oh, my legs are wobbly. Um, Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Oh, you know what? I forgot I've got a demonstration. Let's just put them right here right now. Just three and then put one off to the side. Thanks, Jeff. Oh, my gosh. Is everybody good? I feel a little loopy. That was so good. <laughs> kind of was like, you know what, let's just do this all night. Y'all, whoa. I'm like, we were back in pre-service prayer, and I don't know what happened, but we were walking around, or I was marching around the room, and this noise went off in the corner. Like, I walked by, and it was, whoa. They're like, oh, my gosh, Kelly, it's a portal. I was like, I know, I thought I was going to get taken up and transported, disappear. And I was like, it's like Enoch. Kelly walked with God, and then she was no more. (laughs) And Josh said, well, my gosh, what are we going to tell Joey? And I said, well, you better tell Joey to start walking with God so he can come find me. (laughs) Just kidding, honey, if you're watching this from Los Angeles. We all know that you're walking with God. Um, He is in Los Angeles. He sends his love. Um, So I don't know if last time I said that I was going to continue teaching on the book of Revelation, and I'm not tonight, um, but I probably will start to do that next month. But I do want to just really quickly remind us that, um, and I I shifted just basically because of what something the Lord is doing in my life right now, and oftentimes I realize that what I'm walking through and what he's doing is often for the body at large and not just me personally. So I actually have huge expectation that at the end what he wants to do is communicate the deepest heart of the love of the Father to you. And so what I'm going to talk about is the love of the Father and the lie of separation. And But with recapping last week, because actually this is a little bit of a continuation, if you will, um, when we're talking about the book of Revelation, um, remember that it is the unveiling, that Revelation means to lift the veil. And so the the book of Revelation is not how some people would interpret it, of that it is a book to figure out how to get to through scary end times. You know, it's not a manual to survive this Armageddon that's happening, but it is actually the beautiful unveiling revelation of Jesus Christ. And in the unveiling of Jesus Christ, it is the unveiling of his bride. It is the unveiling of you, and it's the unveiling of me. And as he is doing some unveiling in me, I'm becoming more and more aware of some old things that have been deeply embedded in the fabric of my being, whether it's consciously or subconsciously. You know, we have voices that have spoken into our lives. We have things that we've believed. We have mindsets that we've picked up. And so as he is coming in and unveiling and he's revealing those things in me to pour his love into them and to bring healing... So the unveiling of the bride is the cleansing of this land and my soul, my heart, my body, and the Father is fathering us into it. He's fathering us into sonship. And so that is really what I want to talk about tonight. Um, I also did a little recap. I kind of talked about Genesis 1 through Genesis 11. We ended with Tower of Babel. And they were all going to make a name for themselves and build this big tower. And God came down and decided, no, we're not doing that. And kind of like mixed things up. And we start over in Genesis 12. And Genesis 12 is actually the halfway point of the Bible. 
in Genesis 12, we see a good father come down, and he is not content to, like, have his children all scattered, and he's actually going to come down and bring a people unto himself. He's actually purchased, he's actually setting apart his own people, his own family, and so we're going to look at that tonight. But back at the beginning of COVID, um, in March and in April of, I guess, what was that, beginning of COVID, I don't know, when is the lockdown, 2019, 20? Gosh, it seems a lot longer than that, doesn't it? <laughs> 2020, I had five dreams in a row in March and April, or a- April and May. And without going into detail, each dream, in one of the dreams I was a bride, in one dream I was the mother of the bride, in another dream I was a bridesmaid, in another dream I was an um, attendant, and, a, and then an, I was at a, guest, a guest at the wedding. But in all five of the dreams, the main theme, and I dream a lot, but these dreams, you know when they're just different in quality and you know, pay attention, God is saying something. And in these dreams, the main theme in every single one was the bride was not ready. The bride was, we were doing other things. We were concerned with other things. We were looking through false lenses We were nitpicking, we were critiquing and criticizing, we were looking at our clothes, we were looking at how I dressed, do I fit in, am I okay, am I accepted, and the bride was not ready, and the Lord had told me that this is the the season to prepare. The bride is getting herself ready. She is. The bride is beautifying herself. The Lord is glorifying her. The books are being opened. The scrolls are being opened to be read by all. And Jesus, the bridegroom king, is waiting. I've seen that. I wish I could have brought this picture. I just flashed on my phone the other day as a memory. My son, Travis, when he was waiting for his bride, Ashley, to walk down the aisle. It it is just the picture. I just burst into tears when I saw it because Travis is just bursting into tears. You know, his bride is at the end of the aisle, and he's just looking down, and he's just weeping because he cannot believe that this amazing woman who's walking down, is that what every single one of us wants? To know that there is this bridegroom king, and he is crazy about you. He is crazy about you, and the father is taking us, and he's fathering us, and he is walking us down the aisle, and we are being unveiled. You know how, like, we don't do it as much anymore, but a lot of times, like, the bride would, she'd have a veil over her face, and then they take the veil off, and she's revealed to her, to her bridegroom. That's what he's doing. And so what is the veil? I believe the veil is this religious, law-based thinking. Legal, right and wrong, do this, don't do that, performance, shame, guilt, condemnation. It is the lie of separation. It's all of the things that I think, and I know I wouldn't tell you that it's true, but I still live like it sometimes. I live like, oh man, I really screwed up. I need to do penance. I need to do something to get back into the favor of my father. I might, it's the feeling of I'm going along and I'm accessing the grace of God, and then I slip back into do this, be good, be better, do more. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? Try harder. Yeah, try harder. And that's what he's removing. He's, I, I believe that he wants to give us confidence, and I think that that's why I wanted to talk about that this tonight, about the lie of separation. I believe the only way to get rid of that And I believe that that veiled thinking that he wants to get rid of, we have to have the assurance and the confidence that we are not separate. 
Separation is an illusion. Separation is the ancient lie. It's what the serpent constantly wants to say. We can even hear it when we walk into a room and it starts whispering, you know, they don't really like you here. You know, you're not really welcome. You're not really wanted. Or they're all looking at you. You know how when you're in junior high, you walk into a room and you think everyone's looking at you? And they're not looking at you. They're just thinking about themselves. Everybody's so concerned with themselves. And that lie, there's that illusion that keeps saying, you know what? You're out and all of them are in. And we're going to talk about that tonight. And the only way, it's, I, I left that we ended on that song because I am being blown away by the faithfulness of God in this season. Like, I almost feel like it's just not fair <laughs> to others. Although I know he's going to do the same with you, and he is doing the same with you. I feel this sense of your faithfulness and your kindness to me is blowing me away. And there's a verse, 1 John 4, if you want to turn to it, or if we have it. I don't know if we can do that or not. Brittany said maybe. 1 John 4, I didn't get scriptures today, 16 through 19. The only way that I am starting to get rid of this, it's really the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thinking, right? It's that I'm going to reach out. I have to do something so that I can get something from God that he's already given me by grace. And the only way that I can do that is I'm letting love parent me in those places, in those broken places, in the places where I believe the lie, in the places where I believe that I'm separate. Love is parenting me. And if you look at 1 John 4, starting in verse 16, it says, God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected in us, so that we may have confidence on the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. So when I am beginning to recognize when that punishment mindset comes in, whether it's that I think someone has wronged me, accused me falsely, and I want justice, I want them to pay, right? Does anybody else ever feel that way? Like something happens and someone's lying about you and they might even like publish it and you're like, oh gosh, I want them to pay. And that's a punishment. It's punishment. Whenever I, that stuff starts to come up in me, that, like that fear, like Joey did a great job a couple weeks ago. We all called out fears, like fear of being disappointed. Or mine is actually more fear of disappointing other people. Fear of failure. Fear of rejection. Fear of abandonment. Like all of those things, I recognize that when they begin to rise up and the, the Father is showing me that this is an issue of the heart that I am going to love I am going to remove and pour in my love, pour in my glory, pour in what I think about you. Because deeply embedded within me, I recognize, and it could have even come down from previous generations that I am not aware of. There is some of that stuff that in this season in my life, he has been bringing up and removing and pouring glory into. You know those, um, I forgot, I don't even know what it's called, the Japanese pottery. I meant to get a picture of it. You know, where, yeah, with the gold, what's it called? I love it, and it's so beautiful, and it's basically, it's just, it, it's embracing the imperfection and the flaws, and it's what makes you beautiful, and what makes you stronger, because 
instead of just plastering it over or getting rid of the piece, they pour gold in it. You've seen it, right? And there's gold in these cracks, and I feel like that's what the Lord is doing. He's like, Kelly, these places that you want to hide, these places that you feel shame over or rejection and all of these places, I'm actually going to come and pour glory, and it's going to be more beautiful, and it's going to be stronger than ever. And I feel like tonight, at the end of the night, he really wants to put his finger and speak over some areas in our lives where that's exactly what he's going to do. You know, it's like when you're walking with a father and the father is parenting you, we have different stages of growth, right? But what I've discovered at some age, at a 50-something age, it's almost like I'm going back again, and I'm this little child, and I know nothing. <laughs> because the more I learn, the more I grow, the more I know of him, I just am coming back to this place. It's just that onion, and it's the layers. So he's looking to remove them, and he's looking to cleanse his land. He's looking to unveil his bride. And when I am operating out of the illusion and the lie of separation, when I think that there's, I'm separate and something is wrong with me, I begin to put in all of these coping mechanisms, right? Or, and, or I make this false persona, this persona that I think I need to present to the world so that you will accept me. Because the lie is that I'm not. And so I begin to, and I can get self-defensive, Joey can say or do something, and immediately I kick into self-defense, reaction. Um, what's another? I'm not like what's another one? I'm not doing a very good job. Of, do y'all know what I'm talking about? Yeah, like I'm when I'm living out of separateness, when I'm living out of the lie that there is something wrong with me, and there's shame, and that I'm hiding. I created this person that I presented more to the world, not living out of the truth of my identity of who he's called me to be. Does that make more sense? Yeah, it's a, yeah, yeah, it's a good way to say it. Yeah, a false narrative. And we have these lies, and really it is, it's coming, it's, there's thorns in the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And those things continue to speak to us. And we get to choose to not listen to them and agree with them because as I, some of those things, they're so in my narrative that I'm not even aware of it that I just immediately respond to them, agree with them unconsciously, live into it, act it out, and it's digging those deeper and deeper neuropathways. And so what we get to do is tonight, I feel like the Father just wants to come in and he's just going to pour out his healing oil and his love and he's going to father and parent and love us back into some of those places. So uh, the other day, um, I had a, something come up with one of my children, and I so badly, like, it was just this thing, and I just wanted to tell them, <laughs> and I wanted to, like, quickly, it scared me. I had fear rise up, and so immediately when fear rises up, I want to clamp down, I want to control, I'm going to tell them how it is, this is what you need to do. And I was getting myself all worked up, and I was thinking about exactly how I was going to say it so one of them didn't, didn't get offended, and the other one would actually hear it, and they would do something about it. You know when you do that, and you're just having this conversation, I was getting so worked up, and very gently the Lord came in, and he said, Kelly, or you could operate on the higher law of love, and you could actually prefer them and not choose to get your way and say what you think they need to hear but you could actually just love them right where they are. And I'm telling you, when I listened to that voice and I agreed with him, that voice just got shut down like that. Because love comes in. 
punishment, when we are afraid of being punished, when we're afraid of being controlled, when we're afraid that things are going to happen a certain way, and we're operating in control and manipulation, I'm operating in the opposite of love. So love just wants to come in and shut that thing down. Um, okay, so what I want to do, um, I have these three chairs up here, and I'm going to ask for some volunteers in a minute. Can I have... Okay, all right. Come on up here. Zach, you get to be the father. You get to be the father. You're the father. You can sit wherever you want. Where do you want to sit? Now I need, what do I need now? Son, well, I need that too. I need son and I need the Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost, there you go, I like that. Yeah, you will. Yeah, Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost. And I need a son. He wants to be Jesus. Come on. Come on, be Jesus. And will you bring that thing up with you? Because I'm going to need it in a minute. <laughs> you can hold on to it, and then I'll, I'll take it. Um, so I had a couple of encounters. Y'all just sit here and, and, you know, be the Trinity. Just, you know, <laughs> just sit there and do the Trinity thing. Here we have the Trinity. I realized in my journey and in my walk, like, that I've been invited to know the Father and the Son and Holy Spirit. And they are distinct personalities and persons with voices and things, and, and, I, and I get to hear from each one of them. And in this journey right now that I'm in, and in this delight of the dance that I'm going to talk about in a minute, the Father has been really highlighted, really like ministering to my heart. And I had a couple of encounters. One of them is a couple of weeks ago. I was sitting up here and I was really praying about this one issue, about this one child and my heart really breaking for this child. And I was just asking the Father, I was like, okay, would you, I could just see her in my hand in this like teardrop and I'm holding her up to God and I'm like, would you be really that good, Father? Are you really that good to do this for her? And I clear as a bell heard him say, Kelly, I am not like the other dads. I don't do the bait and switch thing. When you ask for a stone, no, when you ask for bread, I don't give you a stone. When you ask for fish, I don't give you a serpent. Because often in our own lives, and our, listen, our parents, my, I did the best and am doing the best that I can with my children with the resources that I have, right? And my parents did the best that they could with the resources they had. But there's no question that we sometimes were presented a picture that makes us a little distrustful of, I don't know, Father, are you really that good? Can I really ask you for that and trust and believe that you want to give that to me and do that for me? The other encounter was Anne Marie and I are on a prayer call weekly, and um, and this is is the whole theme of tonight. But it's I saw as we were all praying on this call on a Zoom call, I saw Jesus lean over and reach into the body and pull out this bloody thorn. And the and as he as I was describing what I was seeing, you could feel it. We could feel this bloody thorn being pulled out from deep, deep inside of us. And it was separation anxiety. 
It's that anxiety that the body feels that we're separate, that I'm somehow separate from my father, and it's the frailing and the chaos that we get into. You know when children, if your children did go through separation anxiety, what that's like? They scream when you're not in their presence. And it's that flailing and that frantic thing, and it's that idea and, and this isolation and abandonment that we feel deep, 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 even if we have, don't recognize. I would never have told you that that is something I struggle with. I would never say that I have felt abandoned, rejected, um, isolated, or alienated to that degree. But the Lord is showing me that it is coming from deep generationally in our lines. And he's wanting to get rid of that. And I believe that he's going to do it tonight. Um, the other thing is how we see each other and our perception. Like when I am believing that lie, I have a log in my eye. I am blind. And Holy Spirit needs to come along and turn on the light so I can see what is. I wouldn't want to go there. Go. We're not asking him to come and do something that he hasn't already done. We're asking him to turn the lights on and show what already is. We are awakening to who we already are. We, the seed, the seed of Christ is embedded within us and it lays dormant, waiting to be awakened and grow up into a harvest at the proper time. And that's what's happening out there. It's that I don't look at the world now, but when I get rid of the veil, when I get rid of the separation lenses, the glasses, the goggles that are skewing my perspective, I don't look at the world as us and them. I don't look at the world like you all are all just a bunch of lost souls and I don't know what's going to happen to you. I look at them as you just need to be awakened to the sun. The sun is shining and that seed in them is vibrating and it is reverberating in the earth and it is going to break forth into salvation. So when we treat people as like, well, you just need to get it together and this, do you hear what, hear my heart? So evangelism gets to be this joyful expression of just telling them who they are. This is how the Father sees you. This is Jesus. This is Holy Spirit in you. And they awaken to life. And I'm getting ahead of myself. but So, um, so the Trinity, hello. The Trinity has always been, and I just, the reason I keep going back to this, and I'm like a beating a dead horse, dog. Um, what is it? Horse, a horse. What? Oh, it's a horse. That's a, I'm terrible. I'm I have cliche dyslexic. I, t I cannot do cliches. I'm so bad. Um, don't be the dead horse. But I, but so I always talk about the Trinity. But I am telling you all, it is foundational, because if we do not understand the relationship with the Trinity, then we will not understand our relationship with each other my relationship with God, my relationship with myself. And the thing is, the, the Trinity is relational, not transactional. The Trinity is relational, not transactional. It is a relational dynamic flow, a giving and a receiving. It is not transactional, meaning work-based, performance, wage. Good job today. You did a good job. You worked hard, and here's your pay. It's not full of legal, law, and order language, separation. It's perichoresis. It's the dance. It's mutual inclusiveness. It's mutual indwelling without losing the unique personhood. And so 
in the beginning, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then God said, let us make mankind in our image. And so male and female, he made them. And he brought in mankind. Ooh, I need a fourth. He brought mankind. Who wants to be man? Who wants to be Adam? Let's get over Holy Spirit. We have that kind of relationship. I can boss you around. No, just kidding. Who's Adam? People don't really want to sit up here. Awesome. I got one over here. All right, Adam. Get up here. You're not going to be here for long. You know you get kicked out pretty soon. Just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm not really going to kick you out. I'm not really going to kick you out. No, no, don't fall. So, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, let us make mankind in our image, male and female. He makes man. And Adam and Eve get to enjoy this dynamic flow in the garden. He's created them for this mutual God created to love and be loved, to know and be known. There's no shame. There's no hiding. There's no guilt. The earth is springing up, and they're just going to tend to provision. They don't have to work by the sweat of their brow. Provision is springing up from the earth, and they get to enjoy it and tend it together with Father, with Son, and with Holy Spirit. That's all they know. There's no separation until the serpent, the lie comes in, and, oh, really, did God really say because he knows that if you eat from this tree, you'll be just like God, knowing good and evil. And so when they believed the lie, what happened? Separation in their thinking. So they believe the, they believe the lie, they eat the fruit, and so separation comes in their thinking. And so they hide shame, they blame each other. God comes in, they're hiding from God. He's like, have you eaten from the tree? Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree? And so we see this whole thing that happens. And so then God, it's just for a little bit, but you have to sit over here. <laughs> so God puts them, he covers them with the skin of an animal. Love always covers. 1 Corinthians 13, that love is a shelter where everyone feels protected rather than exposed. Love always covers and it doesn't expose the nakedness, the sin, the shame of another. So love covers them and he's still going to be walking with them, but they are outside of the garden because they cannot come and eat from the tree of life and live in that condition forever. Because God wanted sons and daughters that walked with him in the cool of the day, that had intimate communion and intimate fellowship with him always a giving and a receiving. So God was still going to walk with Adam. Because remember when he goes to Cain? He goes to Cain. says, Cain, what's up? Like, what, why are you so angry? Sin is going to have its way with you if you're not careful, right? God is still fathering them. I'm Now I'm just going through like a Bible lesson, I guess. Because then, so we get to the Tower of Babel, right? God sends them out, disperses them all over the face of the earth. And he starts over with Adam and with Abram. And he calls Abram. He's calling a people to himself because the cry of heaven is no. My creation will not live in alienation. They will not live in the mindset of being separate from me and my son and my Holy, and Holy Spirit. 
that the cry of heaven's heart is that we are included, that we are adopted back into this dynamic relational flow and the horror and the mindset that has happened, he has to remedy. So he begins to start over with a covenant line of people with Abram. And so remember we see Abram come along and in chapter, I don't know, he calls Abram. Oh, and he tells Abram, he says, I'm, hmm? 12 and 15 and 17, I think. I'm not sure. He, am I right? Thank you. 12, 15, and 17. My Bible scholars here. He calls Abram and he says, I want you to leave the land of your fathers. And I want you to go to the land that I call you to. And, and I'm going to give you land and I'm going to give you a son. And nations are going to come from you. And he's 75, and by the time he's 99, they've been waiting on the promised son, and he has the promised son, finally, Isaac. And so he has the promised son, Isaac, and what does God do? Bible, people. God says, I want you to sacrifice your son. I want you to sacrifice your only son, Isaac, that you've waited all these years for, the son of promise. The son I promised you, I want you to sacrifice him. And Abram, because he comes from Ur in the land of the Chaldeans, and they were idol worshipers. They were pagans, and they worshiped idols, and they sacrificed. Their, their false gods demanded sacrifice. And so a Abram immediately gets up, and he takes Isaac, and he's going to sacrifice him because that's what he knows from the land of his fathers. And so he gets there, and you know the story. He gets Isaac there, and right before he pulls out the knife of his belt and right before he's going to sacrifice Isaac, an angel of the Lord steps and says, stop, don't lay a hand on your son. The father is saying, I am not like all the other gods. I will provide the sacrifice. This is how this relationship will go. I will take personal responsibility for your side of the relationship and mine. I am a covenant-keeping God and I am faithful, and I provide the sacrifice. You don't need to. You know how hard we work to provide the sacrifice? How hard I try to be the sacrifice? Lord, do you not see? I've laid myself on the altar, and you not see all I'm doing for you. And he's like, I never asked you to do that. I am responsible for this relationship here, for this relationship. In Hebrews 10, we see a conversation with Jesus, the son, and he's talking to his father, and he says, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Behold, I have come to do your will, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. A body and a will he has. Here I am, come to do your will. Not my will, Father, but yours. Do you know what's really interesting? Is you remember the, remember the, the five wills of Satan, you know, in Isaiah 14? And, you know, he rose he, against the boundaries that God had set for him, and he went outside and he used his own will. Satan used his own will to usurp God's authority, and I will ascend to the throne, and I will be ascend to the heavens, and I will this, and I will this, and I will that. Do you know that you have already actually fulfilled all five of those I wills? 
That's not really what you want to hear in church. I've already fulfilled the five I wills of Satan. <laughs> it's why he hates you. You have what he wants. He used his will to usurp the authority of God. He got kicked out of heaven, and you, by something you did not do, but Jesus, what he did in your very place, he took you and ascended on high into heaven. You're seated at the right hand of God the Father. And so everything that the enemy was going after, you already have. Your work is complete. He has done it by the finished work of Jesus. You have that here in this relationship. So a body and a will that, you, uh, that he's given us. And so with the enemy is usurping God's authority, choosing his own will and gets kicked out. And Jesus lays his own will down and takes responsibility for something he did not do to include you right here. That's what Jesus did with his will. So a body I have and a will I have that by my own free will, I get to learn to lay my life down. I get to learn to deny some things, some rights that I think I have and deserve and need and do. And, and by using that own free will that he gave me, I also get to have this land, this body cleansed and healed and delivered and set free. 1 John 1, if you want to turn there. I don't know if we have it. 1 John 1. The Apostle John is writing this, and he says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we touched concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it. We proclaim this to you so that you too may have fellowship with the Father and his Son. So he's basically, the Apostle John is writing this in one of his epistles, and he's, and he's we're going to look at what he wrote in the Gospel of John in a minute, but he's basically saying, in the beginning, that God that you're talking about, Jesus, the Son of God, he is him. He was in the beginning before all things. And we've seen him, we've touched him, we've heard him. If you turn to John 1, in the beginning, I'm going to read it out of this whole, out of my Bible. And I promise I'm getting somewhere. Are y'all following me? Okay. I am threading a needle. Got that cliche right. think. John, same Apostle John. He wrote the book of Revelation. He's the Apostle of Love. He has a revelation of the love of the Father. He writes, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So the Apostle John is saying, here he is, the Word was in the beginning, and he was with God. And that word with is pros, and it means face to face. The begin, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Y'all got to face each other. Here's they are, face to face. <laughs> the, Father and the Father and Jesus, face to face in the beginning. Not just with, not just around, and not just among, but in this face to face relationship. Have you ever done the exercise where you stare into someone's eyes for about what happens usually? Usually somebody starts to cry. You stare into someone's eyes and you're, right? This is the relationship that the Father and the Son have. And Holy Spirit, I don't know if you dance, but Holy Spirit is the animating. Holy Spirit is in the life right here, in this life flow. Do you dance? Okay. All right. Come on. Come on, Holy Spirit. <laughs> I can feel that. I feel it. 
So this face-to-face relationship, the Apostle John is saying, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was face-to-face with God. The Word was God. He's making Jesus to be Yahweh, the God that the Jews would know, Yahweh, He is Him. And they have always been face-to-face. And so when Jesus came, that's really good, thank you so much. <laughs> I don't want to leave you hanging there. Really, really good. This God who made, and it says, um, if we keep reading in verse 3, it says, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So all things were made through him. Nothing that we see was made apart or without him. Colossians 1 says, 15 says, he is the image of the invisible God. He, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And in him all things hold together. So everything that we see, whether it's visible or invisible, was created by him, through him, for him, it's to him. So where are all things? Things that are visible, are we visible? In him. Things that are invisible, thrones, rulers, dominions, principalities, angels, where are they? In him. What is outside of him? Nothing. Hebrews 1.3 says he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Who is upholding the universe? Jesus. What is going to separate us from him? Nothing. Can life or death or principalities or angels or rulers or things to come, can any of that separate us from the love of Christ? No, nothing can. We are more than conquerors because of Christ Jesus. We are in him. We are in this relationship. We are not separate. We may think we are. We might feel like we are. We might believe we are. But the truth is because of what Jesus Christ has done, and we're going to look at that, we are right here in this, and you're here too. And you just got, you got to come back. You're back in there. (laughs) Because of Jesus, this relationship, this dynamic flow, we are included back into because of what they have done. Is that not the best news ever? This is the circle of life. The Trinity is the circle of life. We went to see Lion King last week. And I wanted to play a scene from it because do y'all remember the story where Simba and his mean uncle Scar, he like scares him into believing his father dies, Mufasa dies, and he goes and he lives in the Shadowlands and he grows up there where he's not supposed to be. He's the son of the king, but he forgets who he is. And so that little lady, I forgot what her name is, but she's Holy Spirit for sure. She goes and finds Simba in the Shadowlands and she starts singing this song He's in me. How's it go? He's in me. Oh, he's in me. He's in you. He's in everything. He lives in me. He lives in me. He lives in you. He lives in everything. I sat there in the majestic theater bawling, crying, because I am listening to the Trinity being proclaimed over every single one of us. He lives in me. He lives in you. He's over everything. And in that moment when she's singing that, Simba looks into a pool of reflection and water, and he sees his father's face. 
because he's grown up. He doesn't even know what he looks like, but he's looking in there and he sees this big lion and he gets up and he realizes who he is because of this face-to-face relationship, because of the reflection that I get to see in the eyes of Jesus and in the eyes of the Father and Holy Spirit is giving me understanding and discernment and wisdom and insight and you then recognize who you are that you are a son of God, that you are the son of the most high, that you are more than a conqueror, that we get to go out and be Christ in the earth, that you do what he does, you say what he says, you lay your hands on the sick and they get well. You command death to bow and it does because we are sitting in this relationship right here and he did not leave us orphans. He did not leave us isolated and alienated. He said, I will not leave you orphans. I will come for you. He, Jesus would tell people, if you want to see my father, you see me. I am in my father. He's telling him about when Holy Spirit was going to come. He said, when the helper comes, when Holy Spirit comes, we're, you're going to know that we're in seamless union. I am in my father and my father is in me and you are in me. We're not separate. That's how you're going to know. So you get to go out now in the power of the Holy Spirit and in the strength of my name, All my authority, I'm giving it to you so that you can go and preach the kingdom of God with signs and wonders everywhere. That's how we get to do what we do. So when I start thinking, I'm alone, I'm isolated, I don't know, I don't have anybody else, I remember this dynamic flow. I'm remembering the dance. Woo! So... We've read that verse so many times in John, but if we kept reading, um, it, it says that he came to his own and his own knew him not. Sometimes we skip over things, but you know, but he came to them. He came in the pillar of fire. He was in the cloud. He was in the Torah. He was speaking, speaking through the prophets. He was coming, but his own did not recognize him. They didn't see him and they received him not. So go to verse 14, and what does verse 14 say? It literally says, the Passion translates it this way, but the ESV doesn't. But it says, so the word became flesh. He was trying to communicate himself to his people that he'd chosen for himself, Israel. He's communicating. He's showing up for them, but they didn't recognize him, and they didn't see him. So the word became flesh and dwelt among us, or in us. That word flesh is not anthropos, human body. It's not a human being. That word flesh is sarx, S-A-R-X, and it means human nature prone to sin and suffering, or fallen nature. So it wasn't just that Jesus became a body, a human body, Jesus literally became human nature that is prone to sin and suffering. Jesus literally came and he pitched his tent in the middle of our nightmare, in the middle of our mess. He plunged himself all the way into the depths of creation to bring us back into relationship with his father. It's like the circle. They sat in heaven and they had a council meeting. And they were like, we refuse to allow our creation, we refuse to allow our children to to think that they're separate, to remain isolated, to be outside. 
I do not want mankind to go on thinking this way. And so Jesus says, well, I'll go in. I will go in, into the depths of that depravity, into the depths of the nightmare, the anxiety, the isolation, the abandonment. And the Father says, yes, you're taking Holy Spirit with you. So we see Jesus and we see Holy Spirit fleshing it out on earth. And I honestly, I know that, I know the verses, I know that it says that Jesus being fully God, but fully human, that he set aside his deity and he did not think equality a thing to be grasped and he emptied himself and he became a man. But in my mind still, I have to say that I thought, well, he, the reason he could live that life out is because he's God. But he was fully man and to actually enter into our depravity and change it and convert it and do something about it, he had to be just made just like you and me. And there's, Karen, can I, I, I was, wanted to read this from a book, and I forgot the book. But for Jesus to come into that sinful nature, into the Adamic nature, but not be changed by it, but not be marred by it, but, but not have it influence him, that's what he did. Um, let me read this. Y'all still with me? Hear what I'm saying and what I'm not saying and feel like this inclusion. Do you feel this? Can you feel yourself being drawn into this participation? This inclusion, the reality of what's actually happened has already happened and we're just discovering that the lights are becoming brighter and we're recognizing what is. The incarnation means that although he is the eternal and beloved son, and although he is baptized with the spirit and receives his witness, Jesus sees what Adam sees. In entering into Adam's world, the Son of God enters into Adam's fallen mind. He puts on Adam's glasses, the ones that mar God's face, and fill the Father's eyes with indifference or with disgust, judgment, and rejection. That's how we see. Whatever it was that Adam projected onto God, and whatever it was that he felt when he did so, Jesus saw and felt it. And he saw it and he felt it with the same intensity and reality as Adam. The entrance of the fellowship of the Father, Son, and Spirit into our alienation and estrangement did not mean the ruin of the Trinity. It meant war. As Luke tells us, Jesus Christ beat his way forward by blows. The Son of God entered into our broken, fallen, alienated human existence. He took upon himself our fallen flesh. He stood in Adam's shoes, in Israel's shoes, in our shoes, and he steadfastly refused to be like Adam. He refused to be like Israel. He entered into fallen existence and steadfastly refused to be fallen in it. Step by step, blow by blow, moment by moment, he refused to believe in the God of Adam. And he loved his father with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. Step by step, blow by blow, moment by moment, he hammered out his sonship on the anvil of fallen Adamic existence. Step by step, blow by blow, moment by moment, he bent back the thoroughgoing wrongheadedness of the Adamic mind. It took 33 years of trial and fire, of temptation with loud crying and tears. What we see in Gethsemane, the gut wrench of it all, the pain and overwhelming weight, the struggle, the passion, the agony, is a window into the whole life of Jesus Christ. The death of Jesus Christ was not punishment from the hands of an angry God. It was the Son's ultimate identification with fallen Adam and the supreme expression of faithfulness to his own identity as the one who lives in fellowship with the Father and the Spirit. 
For he truly entered our brokenness and estrangement and alienation. He bore the intolerable contradiction in his own being, and he resolved it through fire and trial by dying to his Adamic flesh, by crucifying it on Calvary. For in no other way could he live out his fellowship with his father as the incarnate son in the teeth of the fall, except through the radical circumcision of his Adamic flesh and the complete undoing of the Adamic mind. Is that not so powerful? Hebrews 4, it it puts it in a whole new light that he learned obedience through what he suffered. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, that he was tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin. That Jesus Christ lived in the fallen. Can you imagine? He grew in wisdom and stature with favor with God and man. He grew up into his sonship because he continually beheld his father because Jesus kept his eyes on his father so he learned who he was and by the time he was 12 he said did you not know that I would be in my father's house because they never take their eyes off of each other they continually behold one another it's how like when Jesus gets to the you know at the beautiful gate when the man no no the um, pool of Bethesda And that man has been laying there for 38 years, and so Jesus heals him, and the religious leaders are all mad and bent out of shape because Jesus healed on the Sabbath. And what does Jesus say? Jesus is like, this man has been paralyzed for 38 years. My father is working, and so I am working also. And he's also saying, so religious, what what are y'all doing? This is what we're doing. What are y'all doing? Jesus cared. Jesus hung out with the the leper, the lame, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the sinners, and the religious leaders and the religious crowd were all bent out of shape about it. And Jesus was saying, these are the people that I'm coming into. They recognize me. They are finding their value and their worth and their dignity because I will plunge myself into the depths of that so that they can be found. And I love in Luke 15, and Jesus tells a parable. In light of this, the religious leaders, he's healed somebody else. I think it was a man with a hand. And they're mad again that he healed on the Sabbath. And he starts to, and and they're also mad, it even says it, that he's hanging out with sinners. You know? And so he starts to tell this parable. He could tell any parable, but he tells the parable of the lost sheep the lost coin, and the lost son. And in the parable of the lost coin, remember the woman has 10 coins and she loses one. And she searches, it says she scours the whole house until she finds it. The shepherd has 100 sheep and one goes missing. And what does that shepherd do? He goes and he searches for how long? Until he finds it. The woman scours for the lost coin until she finds it. Jesus goes after the lost sheep until he finds it. The prodigal son, the lost son who went and he scoured his wealth. The father had actually divided the inheritance. He decides to go and live it in loose living and he squalors it all and he comes to his senses and and he is actually the one that comes and finds the father. I need to go back to my father. And who is it that stands off and actually the father goes and finds? Me, the older brother. The older brother is all in danger. He's like, how dare you? Like, how dare you have a party and kill the fattened calf? I've been here all along. 
I'm following the rules. I'm working hard. I'm out there every day in your fields taking care of your stuff. That brother of mine, he goes off and he squanders his inheritance, and here I am working my butt off. (laughs) Ooh, I'm in church. (sighs) You know I would have said ass. (laughs) That's what he's thinking. Do we not think that? Somebody else over there is getting blessed. Do you know how they live, God? I watch them. Do you see what they're doing? And they're getting blessed. Older brother, it is, I'm afraid it's, it's the Western church right now. Here we are. We're working hard. We're doing the stuff. We're doing it. And what does the father said? The father said, all that is mine you have. You've always had it. You've always been in this house with me. All the father has already done it. He's killed the fatted calf. He has thrown a party. When the woman found the coin, she threw a party. When the shepherd found the sheep, they threw a party. When the lost brother came home, the father said, we're having a party because this son of mine, he was lost and now he's found. And we're throwing a party. Heaven is throwing a party because heaven is after lost ones. And he has called us to bring in, to be ambassadors of reconciliation. And that reconciliation is a term that is exchanging something of equivalent value. It's a money exchange of equivalent value. He set the value. And every single person on the planet has been created in his image, is a son and a daughter of God. And he set the value. And if they are lost, he said, I'm going to find them. We're going in. And you are my ambassadors. So go implore them to be reconciled to my good father. That's what we're doing. That's our job. Period. Jesus, who holds all things together in himself, on the night that he was betrayed, he is literally sustaining life, every person, everything on the planet, in himself. And he entrusts himself to Caiaphas, to Pilate, to the Roman soldiers. He actually gives himself to them to be killed, even though if he were to withdraw himself, they would all disintegrate. It says that he did not hold their trespasses against them. And you and I get to go and do the same. Jesus, the Father, are in relentless pursuit. How far would they go and how long would they look for any single person, for you and for me? Until they're found. That he doesn't leave one stone unturned. That he doesn't waste one thing. Anything that you've gone through and anything that I have gone through, he doesn't waste one thing. He is fathering us into it. He has adopted us. He has chosen us. We are his. We are not orphans. And he is absolutely going after the religious lie, the religious mindset of separation. Of that, man, I gotta work hard to get back in there. And he's asking us to go out and preach that gospel. That's the gospel. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the gospel. The gospel is not, man, you are such a wicked sinner. And because of that, God has got to turn his back on you. Because he is too holy and you're not. So he's got to turn his back on you. That's the gospel that I grew up with. I was a good Presbyterian, and, and listen, I love them. They taught me how to study the Word, and I honor them. Um, but that whole Calvin, Calvinism, when that came in, there was a lot of legal law language. 
And some were in, and a lot of others were not. And God had to turn his back. And so I literally went through life thinking, well, maybe he's, he's turning my, his back on me right now. And I don't know if I can trust a father like that. And it causes stress and anxiety so that we don't know that really he's good and I really can go to him and I can ask him for anything. Christ did it all. He fully identified himself with humanity. He purchased us. He redeemed us. He brought us back into our proper position here. We've been invited to the dance. We've been invited to participate with God. And so now I just get to ask the Father, Father, what are you doing today? What are you doing? He might say, Kelly, I want to go antiquing today. And I'm like, hallelujah, do you have your checkbook? Because <laughs> I want to go antiquing too. We make it so religious, you know. It's like we have to get rid of that sacred paradigm. He's in everything. He's in your mothering. He's in your fathering. He's in your work. He's in your play. He's in your hobby. There is no such thing as the separation of sacred. Everything, sacred and secular, everything is sacred. So when I'm like, Father, what do you want to do? He's like, Kelly, let's go and mow the neighbor's yard. Let's go antiquing. Let's go and visit that person. We just need to get some Windex on our glasses so that we can see what is. And I need to have some stuff taken out of my ears so I can hear my father speaking to me. I want to end with, um, I was listening to this podcast the other day. And I want to do some ministry. Um, Y'all have been awesome. You don't have to stay up here if you want. But you know what? If y'all still need the visual, actually, I want y'all to stay. Can you stay? You might need to widen yourself apart from each other a little bit more in a second. I actually, I actually I do want you to stay. Um, uh, Baxter Kruger, Kruger, who is a Trinitarian theologian. You know, honestly, the Western world, I don't know how many hundreds of years ago, the Western church, but we really did get more away from Trinitarian theology and we moved over more towards that legal, penal language. And, um, but anyway, I really like a lot of his writings. And he says, the recognition of the sacred presence of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in every person is the beginning of wisdom. That is the end of religion and the beginning of seeing what is and what has always been. Truth doesn't become truth when you discover it. It just becomes true to you, and now that benefits you, but it was always true. There are some things. He is the one who is, who was, and who is to come. There are things that is. There are things that are, and he wants us to see. So Holy Spirit is turning the lights on. He's taking some Windex to my glasses so my perspective isn't so warped. He's taking some of the judgments that I've made out of my heart, some of the lies that I've believed, some of the wounds, there are some terrible things that have been said and done to you that are not right. But the Father wants to father us in those. He wants to come along and say, listen, why don't we go do this today? Let's talk about that. So Baxter was telling this story. I was listening to this podcast of him, and he has two grandchildren, Caroline, who's four, and Cooper, who's two. And he said, I'm sitting in my chair, my easy chair, and I'm reading my book, and I hear the garage door go up. And I'm thinking, gosh, who in the world could just come into my garage? He said, oh, that must be my daughter. And he said, sure enough, as soon as I thought that, I'm hearing this doorbell, ding, 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 ding. He's like, oh, yeah, that's Cooper, the two-year-old. Ding, 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 ding. 
And Caroline and Cooper, they run in and they jump up on his lap. And Cooper jumps on the lap first and takes his book and throws it away and pulls this other book over that he wants to read. And, and then Caroline thought, well, hey, no, that's not fair. And she went and got these five little tiny books that she wanted to read. And he said, they're both just sitting on my lap. And I just start bawling, crying. Like, this is the father that they can just come and run and jump up into my lap. And they're arguing over who's going to read their book first, and he doesn't care because he is just enjoying the fact that they know they can come and interrupt whatever he's doing, jump on his lap, and demand to be read to. He said, but you know, then I was thinking, how dare someone? What if someone came along and told Caroline, hey, you know that Doc is really mean as a snake, and he's really mad at you? And he's really mad at you, Cooper, for ringing the doorbell so many times. So next time, you'd better be careful. And that little lie of anxiety comes in of, what if he's really not that good? Maybe I can't trust him. So next time they come over, they go to the back room and they sit and they try to be really quiet so they don't anger Doc. And he said, you know, and then a good reverend walks in. He says, listen, I know how to get back in good graces with your grandpa. If you just do this and do this, and do this, and you do it really well, and you do it perfectly, then he'll let you back into his lap. He said, I would rip that person from limb to limb. How dare anyone come in and tell my grandchildren that they are not always welcome to sit up in my lap. They're always welcome in Papa's lap. And as I was listening to this podcast, I'm sitting there, and I'm taking care of one of my new grandchildren. And I have this baby on my chest, Hayes, and the love of the Father is just pouring into me. I could feel it just pouring into every pore and every fiber of my being. And I knew it was just like this communicating the depths of love of the Father and what he would go to to communicate that to me. And he's like, through this little child, this conduit, this funnel, of love is pouring into me and that you are not separate. You've never been separate. And in that moment, I like cried for, I mean, I was on that couch. I didn't move for two hours holding him. And I probably cried for an hour as father was just fathering me and loving me. I could feel it. And then I was thinking if anybody, anyone came in and tried to harm this child, I would I would let a tiger, a bear, or a lion rip me from limb to limb before I let go of this child. And that's how the father feels about you. He is crazy about you. His ferocious love. It is an absolute lie from the pit of hell that he is mad at you, he is angry, that you better clean it up to get back in with him, that there's not room in your lap. That is not the father. The father went to the depths, to the ends, to send his son, that you get to sit in his lap. If you need to come up here and you sit in Zach's lap, I'm sure he's going to be good with it. Because you know we're all about activation here. I'm telling you. I feel it. I'm feeling it. But this thing was going through me just that, like, he's that kind of father. He's the kind of father that leaves the lights on at night in the dark when you're scared. He's the kind of father that lets you interrupt his work so that he could read little stories to you. He's the kind of father that gets on the floor and plays games. He's the kind of father that lets you paint his toenails. 
He's the kind of father that puts on a tutu and he drinks and has tea parties with you because he's that crazy about you. He's the kind of father that will let you crawl up into his lap and just give you a hug because he knows that that's what you need because he's welcoming you into the Father's embrace. And so this is what I want to do. I want us to ask, Father, we want to be like Caroline and we want to be like Cooper. And we know that we can crawl up into your lap because you're a good father. But if there's anything, Lord, that's holding me back from that, any contradiction, any lie, any old pain or trauma, all of those things, Lord, I'm asking you, we give you permission to put your finger on that place. Lord, we give you permission to show us that, that little smoke screen, the lie that says I've got to be really careful and really good about this around him. Lord, I just thank you that Holy Spirit enables us to feel your goodness, your faithfulness, your kindness, and your love. You are consistently kind. You are consistently kind, not just sometimes, always. You are faithful. So I want you to ask him, Father, how do you see me? Father, what is your favorite thing about me? When my little two-year-old asks me that, I can think of all kinds of things. That's how he's seeing you. So right now, and he wants to let you know, Father, how do you see me? What's your favorite thing about me? What do you want to say? What do you know that I need to know about you? I'm just going to take a minute. I can just see him going back to places of just very early years for a lot of us. In moments of real pain and moments of real trauma and moments of feeling very alone or very scared. I can see him like this big, big father with this broad chest. And I just see him scooping down and bending down and picking you up. And just like I'm holding that little infant haze on my chest, I can see him doing that with you. And this big, big bear hug, Papa's embrace. And as he's doing that, I can just feel his love. I want you to feel it. Feel his love pouring into you, into the depths of your soul. Feel his fathering. His kindness, his faithfulness, his goodness, and his love. Is making you whole. It's healing your heart. It's removing fear and anxiety and stress. And I just right now I'll just speak rest over you. 
but your whole body and your whole soul is a state of rest with him, relaxed, leaning back, in full just trust of your Father. And I bless you to know that. I bless you to walk in that. I bless you to have a continual revelation of just how included you are in this right here. And Lord, we thank you. We thank you for including us into this participation. And Lord, I ask that you would give us an even greater awareness and revelation of just how much that is. And I just, if any one of you feel like as an activation of like seeing myself included in this, I really, I mean it, I want you to just come and I want you to stand in this circle. <laughs> and then you've seen it, I'm with Jesus and Holy Spirit and Father and here you are, that I am in this and he holds all things together and nothing is outside and separate him, so that, separate from him so that you know. So if you want to come up here and step in here, if you really want to sit on Zach's lap, Father's lap, I think you should. I mean it. It's like that little visual, like I go back with Hayes and I'm like, oh my gosh, I know what that feels like right now. I'm back in it. I just bless y'all to really receive this revelation because I'm telling you, it changes everything. Thanks for joining us for today's message. Don't forget to check out our website at kingdomlifesa.com for more podcasts, updates, and events, or find us on Facebook and Instagram. Have a blessed day.